Hi, and welcome back to Contracast. My name is Kat. I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, David Jameson. Hello, how's it going? Um, we've been out of action for a few weeks, haven't we, David? Yeah, um, this is my fault. I, I left the country during an historical election period, uh, but I had uh, booked a holiday abroad way in advance. Yeah, we talked about that in the Halloween episode. Yeah. Um, you went to Vietnam and Cambodia, that's uh-huh. right. Yeah. First time I've ever left Europe. Oh. Um, did you enjoy it? I did. Um, I mean... Did it, you learn anything about politics there? I did. I'll tell you what I did, I did learn that was kind of scary, which was that um, I mean, all the countries I was in, I was in Doha, then Vietnam, then Cambodia. And all of those countries are dictatorships. Um, and the, the creepy thing about that is that... Um, it's very normal. Yeah. That's that's the most... Uh, I suppose that's the first time I've ever been in a dictatorship and something that wasn't formally a democracy. Apart from when you were in the SWP. I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of similar vibes. When I was in Doha, yeah, if you remember, uh, Qatar's under embargo from Yeah, its, it's been kicked out of the United Arab Emirates, hasn't it? But it's, it's been... Has it been kicked out of the of the Gulf Cooperation Council or whatever it is? I can't fucking remember. But basically, there's been economic sanctions placed in it. This is all about competition between the Gulf states. And there's um, it's only the dictatorship thing is only that interesting when um, it's right in your face. So there are pictures of the king everywhere, huge stencils of him inside of buildings, and there's a massive billboard in the, in the city centre that says everything is going to be all right. Which I love because it automatically implies that everyone's not going to be all right. Um, and then in Vietnam and Cambodia, of course. Uh, well, in in Vietnam, it's I shouldn't say it's you know a much cooler dictatorship, but it's it's certainly aesthetically it's got that whole kind of 60s, 70 yeah. Soviet vibe yeah. uh, going on. You did on. send me a very cool postcard from yeah. Vietnam with um, Lenin on it. Yeah, and it is strange that you know that that I mean. Let's be clear, like Vietnam is an ultra-marketised society, so is Cambodia, but it's still ostensibly, yeah. you know, this this communist party state. Um, and then in Cambodia, it's even weirder because they struggle to be very honest about the circumstances under which they became independent. Mm. So the figurehead there is Prince Sihanouk, who was in al- alliance with the Khmer Rouge, who were the government who carried out yeah, the genocide yeah, in yeah. Cambodia, but that's been whitewashed. So there's, there's statues of him about as the father figure of independence, and his whole relationship with that government has been completely yeah. exculpated, and you can't really talk about it. But yeah, so from... from um, And one of the, the most interesting thing I found in Cambodia was that it's one of these places where Chinese capital is like taken over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found a good deal of quiet local resentment about it. Like there's young people, imagine. young people saying to you they can't afford rents anymore mm. because all these wealthy Chinese are moving in. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting, but it does show you that. I mean, the scary thing about it is that there is a model of capitalism which is less democratic than the one that we have here. Um, well, I mean, I think it like it really goes to prove that argument that capitalism does not mean democracy. No, and of course this year is um, uh, an important anniversary, 1989, the collapse of the uh, Berlin Wall. 
Um, and it was widely predicted that everywhere that, that kind of market capitalism went there after would that, be democracy. there would be democracy. Yeah. And arguably the world is a less democratic... I say arguably. It would be hard to argue otherwise that the world is a less democratic place today than it was in 1989. Mm. Russia's not notably more democratic. That whole part of the world is not, not notably more democratic. I mean, one of my favourite kind of boomer quotes from, like, in relation to that subject is, you know, you'll never get two countries that both have a McDonald's at war with each other. Yeah. You know, they also, like, boomers love that chat. Yeah, and it's total rubbish. Yep. It's, it's factually yep. untrue and it's just, it's just garbage. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was fascinating. Um, the One or two of the grim things was... Uh, uh, the sex tourism industry mm. which in Vietnam and Cambodia the governments quietly tolerate because it brings in money that's so grim yeah it is very grim um, and is it like is it noticeable more so in Cambodia and in the south of Vietnam so north and south Vietnam are very different Yeah. north was the, was the communist stronghold where they established a state uh, after the French were kicked out and there's a different culture there yeah. um, and one of the aspects of that is um, sex the, the kind of sex industry is less tolerated yeah. though when I went out on my own without my partner it, the, the, the situation changes quickly when you've got guys coming up to you on mopeds and pulling out phones and showing you pictures of naked women saying do you want her and stuff like that <laughs> My hope is, because they then tell you to get on the back of the bike, my hope is that the driving... They then mug you. Yeah, they yeah, take you around yeah, the corner yeah, yeah. And, and mug be... you, um, which could well have been going on. But when you go down to Saigon, Saigon, of course, mm-hmm. during the American mm-hmm. occupation, it exploded. Yeah. And the, the, the hotel most renowned for um, the sex trade, the, the Rex Hotel, apparently, I mean, you can walk by and it's still very much in business. But... All of the the massage parlours there, because massage is also a big cultural thing yeah, in that part yeah. of the world, and I, I was desperate to go for a massage all the time I was out there. Well, you do have that sort of like cracking bones problem. Yeah, I, I'm constantly complaining about having a sore back and all this kind of stuff, yeah. so I go for I go for massages anyway when I'm here, but I was desperate to get some exotic massage. Gotta be careful though. Yeah, because I didn't want a, an erotic massage. Yeah, like uh, you don't want like massage and scare quotes yeah yeah yeah. um i mean you would walk by some massage places and they would boast that they have the hottest masseuses do you know (laughs) um and all and all the people trying to bring you into the massage parlor were young women often not wearing a very great deal sometimes very aggressive i don't know if you've ever been to the reaper barn in uh in germany it's a similar kind of feel like you sometimes feel like you're getting sort of mugged right mm. <laughs> um but so it's quite brutal and, th- and what's going on here is that as with all quite rapidly economically uh you know advancing parts of the world people are being sucked in from the countryside they're getting low paid work yeah and then they're sending the money back yeah. uh, to, to the impoverished countryside so it's quite it's a grim scene right anyway so i didn't really feel safe to get a massage till i got to cambodia right and on all the hotels we went to in, in Cambodia, there was a sign on the door that said, don't bring any minors in for the purposes of sexual exploitation. <gasps> They've actually got to say it on the door because it's, the, it, well, I don't know if it still is, but it certainly has the reputation of being the world 
capital of the uh, child sex trade. That's that's Grim. really dark. Yeah, and, um, you know. Um, yeah, that's really dark. The worst. I mean, I thought that the signs that I saw in Cuba were bad, mm. um, but that really that really tops it. Yeah, the stuff in Cuba was like at the places where you could swim with dolphins. Mm-hmm. They would have big signs up saying, "Please do not sexually pleasure the dolphins." <laughs> Fucking hell. Anyway, um, but we got to we got to one hotel. It seems sufficiently plush to me, but how naive is this? Because the people, it's it's tourists who are who are who are fun, fueling the street. So I went to a hotel and thought this place is really plush. It's got all these signs up about the dangers of you'll be arrested if you're involved in uh, sexual exploitation and all this kind of stuff. And went for a massage there, right? So you did get a massage. I did get a massage, and was it above board? Well. So at, at first it was, right? And I was, um, but you got to realise I was sort of in there. I was I was pretty nervous, right? Because I, obviously I'm a bit like, uh, what's his name from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Larry David. Larry David, Yeah, right? you're like a cross between Larry David and Mark Corrigan. <laughs> yeah, from exactly, Mark Corrigan, yeah, right. So <laughs> I went in saying to myself, a bit like Mark Corrigan would, this is fine, you know. <laughs> There's nothing's gonna happen here, right? But um, as it wore on, you know, my mind started to play tricks on me and saying, "Is this normal?" Do you know what I mean? The, the <laughs> mis- <laughs> I was like, uh, and then I was asked to turn over, right? Yeah. No, that's normal. That's like normal. A, so you can massage. like do your um, do your neck and things. Yeah, and I was sort of like, uh, <laughs> I was like. Oh God, David, here it comes, right? Uh, and then I was like, no, don't be silly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like kind of being like you're being a bit mm, culturally yeah, presumptuous. Exactly. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Um, but then when I was lying on my back, I was asked towards the end, would you like a happy ending? <laughs> and uh, at first, <laughs> I, <laughs> and then I sort of said, excuse me and I wish I hadn't because I honestly hadn't had the first time and then she just looked me straight in the face and said would you like a happy ending oh, and I David, was that's... it's so grim and I was like I went no thank you in a voice so polite that it sounded was it totally... your polite high pitched voice no thank you yeah it was, it was a bit like that probably and then I just had to lie there through the rest of the <gasps> massage I know no I know no Um, but I mean she was very professional about it. She seemed mildly disappointed. Do you see the way the thing, the way I think this works? <laughs> she mildly Well, dis- I'll tell you why I think this is, right? Because I don't think that's above board. So they get, I mean, the average wage in Saigon is something like, I mean, a lot of people work for like three or four dollars a day. And, yeah. and that massage was $20, yeah. right? I don't, I think that the people who own the massage parlour Who's to say? Either uh, don't know about it, period, or do know but say you can keep yeah. a bung from that. Yeah. So I reckon that a lot of the money they take back is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I just sort of went through with it. And then after I, I got out, I mean, emerging from, from the 12th floor of this luxury hotel, Right, I, I with saw, your fragile neurotic core, I, I just absolutely thought, crushed. I thought, oh my god, like, what if someone sees me? 
it, do you know what I mean? People yeah. are going to be like, ah, oh, I went to the 12th floor, did you? And sure enough, I got on the lift, right, to go back down to my room. And uh, there was a wee old guy in there, wee old sleazy French guy, who went, um, you're on the 12th floor. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I said, yeah, get a massage. Uh, yeah. And how much did you pay? And I said, uh, $20. And he said, huh, there's a place down the road you can get it for 14 and I was just oh thinking, my God, are we disgusting. even fucking talking about a massage <laughs> anymore? Um, oh my God. So yeah, but I'll tell you one thing that I, that I did come away from the whole experience thinking, right? Um, was, and this is, a, this is a really niche point, right? See how you get this weird subculture of like online Marxist Leninists mm-hmm. who think that this part of the world is somehow socialist. Yeah. Or that China is socialist yeah. or Vietnam is yeah. socialist. They do exist. You Like, how naive do you have to be about the world to think this stuff? Do you know... I don't think it's naivety. I think it's, it's like... thinking. Yeah, almost. I think that people's psyche is so damaged by capitalism. So that whole thing about it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. I think that that has a profound effect on people's psyche. Mm -hmm. And people need to scrape around and scrape the barrel even for some examples of where alternative ways of living might be possible. And I think that that's what they're doing. They're kind of trying to will it into existence. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's, do you know, it's an interesting part of the world and it's one where I assume there will be interesting developments in the future because of some of the stuff I heard people say. Because because of the evident injustices that are going on. Mm. Um, I'll give you one example. When we were in Saigon, um, we went up to like r- rooftop bars at the top of big tall buildings or a big thing there, right? And you go up there and they're obviously the dives of the kind of children and grandchildren of the party cadres. Mm. Like they're the new business class in Vietnam. They inherited the factories yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And at the foot near one of these uh, rooftop bars, and they are spectacular mm. up there, like the views over the cities and all this kind of stuff, I found a woman begging alongside on a kind of stretcher bed a relative who had clearly been affected by Agent Orange <gasps> or a similar mm. chemical. Um, and so there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Vietnam uh, who have uh, like they're still disabilities. living with the yeah. after effects of and they're still being born of course and will be for, for a long yeah. time so that the and she was selling tissues and, and toothbrushes mm-hmm. and things like this mm-hmm. and the stark image between the sort of hyper Americanized party cadre youth yeah and the actual victims and veterans of the war who have been left behind yeah. Yeah. was a pretty brutal but both image. of these things are products of American imperialism absolutely uh, absolutely and it was one thing do you remember um, there was that uh, what's his name Ken what's his name who made the, the long Vietnam documentary the, series the Ken docu- Burns the documentary series that's yeah. on Netflix yeah, yeah. No, the, it's really good it's it, is ve- it is very good but the, the one thing that annoyed me about that series was you know what it was saying to you was Look at the the bad American politicians, and then oh, on the other side, look at the bad Vietnamese politicians, right? Mm, no. Here's the thing, right? The Vietnamese politicians didn't start a war in America. 
Yeah. That was something that the entire series managed to sort of elide. Yeah. You know, it's not just a... It wasn't like World War One when there was sort of a war in no man's land. Uh, America really, really kicked the shit out of that part of the world. I mean, uh, I just... that That's another, like, classic boomer-type argument, which is, oh, both sides are as bad as each no other. No one wins in a war. And, and, you, yeah. <laughs> and you hear it particularly around the Middle East now, like, mm-hmm. with Israel and Palestine. Oh, oh, they're both as bad as each other. By no stretch of the imagination are the two things comparable. No, no, not at all. One's the aggressor and one's yeah, the yeah. aggressed upon. Um, so, from... I mean, it was good, though, to get out of our corner of the yeah. Western world. Well, I'm also... This will be our la- last pod of the year because mm. I'm going away as well. I'm going mm. away for Christmas. I'm going to visit my family in Australia. Mm. Um which will be nice, Christmas on the beach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the politics in Australia is weird. <laughs> the strange part of the world, yeah. Um, yeah, they have that, do you remember that mad right-winger Australian, Pauline Hanson? She's just like an actual racist. Oh, is she, she's like the National Front type then. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like, she looks pure inbred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I shouldn't say this again. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so I'm going to not be back until the beginning of January, which is actually great fun because I leave this weekend yeah. <laughs> just after the election results. Yeah, so you'll I'll either have like, a spring... See you later! Yeah. Bye! Spring in your step or, uh, or fleeing in horror. Yeah, uh, yeah, fleeing the scene. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so we're actually recording this on election day, mm-hmm. aren't we? Yeah. I wasn't sure if we should say that or not because people will think that we should be out doing something. But what can you do? No, no. Do you know what I mean? It's done, I think. It's done. Um, so. Um, Who are you voting for? I voted for Labour in Glasgow South, which meant. You voted for Joanne Lamont. Joanne you, Lamont. You yeah. and Wings. <laughs> me and Wings. That's what tipped me over. Wings over that. Scotland endorsing Joanne Lamont. That's definitely one of the weirdest things that's happened in this election. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean it, it didn't it didn't put any particular joy in my heart. I just can't vote for Stuart McDonald. No, yeah. he is the he represents the absolute worst of the SNP. Absolute worst. The founder of SNP Friends of Israel. He's certainly yeah, right, he's certainly it? one of its sort of yeah main um, figures. Yeah. Big NATO cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, he was one at of the... very anti Russia, and well, a sort of like. In a, in a hyper liberal yeah in a, in a like a suppressed domestic dissent sort of way yeah so he's one of these people who's constantly putting articles out into the media about the the threat of russian intervention into the yes movement yeah russian interference the bots that yeah. sort of thing yeah but and also i mean this this is the one that really uh, uh sealed it for me was early this year if you remember and quite a lot has actually happened this year uh he was one of the figures in the SNP's Westminster group very much pushing for the coup in Venezuela. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we can now see, you know, what the consequences of that are yeah. in places like Bolivia. Yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty sickening, so there's no yeah. way I'm, I'm voting for that. Um, he also once uh, <laughs> got a right of reply to one of my articles when I used to write for The National. Oh, yeah. I wrote an article about radical independence the mass canvassing that we did. And I think I used a phrase like, um, we organised in areas that posher nationalists never touched. Mm-hmm. Which I think is fair, mm-hmm. right? 
and he writing defense of posh nationals <laughs> he was just like there aren't any posh nationalists um and he used that argument about how riddle um rick is full of middle class um like latte leftists oh, kind of you know the the kind of the trope that he's using is all like we're all middle class and overly educated and think yeah. we know best that sort of thing um, whereas he was genuinely working class because he left school with no qualifications. Right. Okay. Which is like the most anti-fucking working class argument out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, like, what is that? I know. You, you, How does that mean you're working class? You with all your book learning and independent thought. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd be sort of moronically pro the establishment if you were working class like me. I mean, I hate this argument about, like, oh, working class means that you don't read books. I know. Or, that you're or drink in. coffee. I mean, <laughs> like, what fucking decade are you living in? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, he's uh, as bad as it gets. Uh, and also, here's the other thing. I'm bored of people saying things like, oh, you know, that's that's a blow to the independence movement, every vote. I am so, sick Stuart of Stuart MacDonald is a blow to the independence movement. Yeah, I'm sick of that argument. So I tweeted today that I was going to vote for Labour, mm. um, which I did in the last election as well. Um, and obviously got people were quite annoyed about that. Mm. And to be honest, I can understand why, you know. Mm. Like, but I still support independence. And I think that, you know, if people think that that's a contradictory position, then it's, that's their opinion. Mm. I don't think it is in mm. any way. I think it's pretty clear that there's only going to be one Prime Minister that's going to grant a Section 30 order, mm -hmm. that's mm. going to be Corbyn. I think it's most likely that he will be propped up by the SNP. Mm -hmm. And that's a very likely scenario. But what have the SNP done to like, to get my vote? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. This is the thing. Is like I feel like they don't deserve it. They published an entire manifesto without one mention of workers' rights. I know. Without any mention of public sector pay. Without any mention of trade unions it talks about like paternity rights paternity pay at work that sort of thing but nothing substantial the the tragedy of of, of any position of triangulation is it requires so people who say i will always vote snp as a principle because of the concept the abstract concept of independence no matter what they do you're freeing them up yeah. to to wreck the case for independence and things like the growth commission and people like Stuart MacDonald and the foreign policy that the SNP is pursuing and, is wrecking the case for independence. And the fact that they have become a vehicle for people who want a career in politics. Yeah. Have you any idea how many former New Labour people are now sniffing around in the SNP girl? Yeah. I mean, people who are grifters who want to get onto the political, the Scottish political bandwagon yeah. are joining the SNP. I'm not saying that people who are joining the SNP are automatically... Like, but the people the, But there the are people who will claim it. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And you can start to see some of the backlash emerging yeah. around the some of the more dubious arguments that are happening in yeah. the independence movement. Um, but I am just sick of being told that I have to vote SNP because it's a vote for independence. So people on Twitter today were saying, um, you know, if you, you if there's a decline in SNP support, it will be seen as anti-independence. And I'm like. Okay, since 2015, Scotland has been returning SNP MPs and it makes no difference. We were told in 2015, if there was a material change in circumstances, then there would be another referendum on independence. Mm. So 2019, 
We've already had another election since then. Yeah, I know. So, TikTok. No, I know. And I'm not prepared to just say, I must keep voting SNP until there's independence. Because I'll tell you what that makes you. The SNP's base. Yeah. yeah. You're the core vote, if that's yeah. your position. If you will always vote for them on the basis of independence, then you're the, the core vote. And the next time there's an argument inside the, the tiny, undemocratic world of the SNP's leadership, and they say, guys, don't we have to, don't we have to provide some forward motion on independence? Someone will just say, nah, those people are voting for us anyway, and that's what's going on now. Yeah. Do you know? I looked at the Nationals front page the other day, and it said, this vote is about Indiref two. Now it's about Indiref two and stop Brexit. Well, this is the thing. So Nicholas, Stur- like the the SNP's head office will phone up and say, make sure that you get a front page that says, you know. Uh, uh, th- this is about independence because that's the message they want to put to their base which is mainly made up of working and middle class people then they'll go to the the corporate lobby who are all over the SNP and say to them our priority is stopping Brexit now that's how triangulation works right mm-hmm. in the end who are the SNP leadership more loyal to and you're open to your you know you can be open to your own interpretation on that one um I suspect that the way the leadership thinks, the guiding force right now in that triangulation is the boardrooms. Mm. I think that you're probably right, but I think that this complicated picture of the SNP is always going to exist as long as we still have the national question hanging yeah. in the air. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, when you look at Holyrood, that SNP government is still the left, the most left-wing government that Scotland's ever had. Yeah. Because the, and it's a low bar yeah, because yeah. Labour and the Labour Liberal coalitions in Holyrood were disastrous. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was PFI, it was the vote for the Warner Act to endorse Tony Blair's position when people like Jeremy Corbyn were breaking the whip down in Westminster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is still the most left-wing government that we've had and ultimately the fact that the Scottish establishment is still rotates on the axis of the British establishment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The Scottish establishment is still not Holyrood. No. It's the massive landowners. It's the Duke of Buccleuch. It's the big banks, it's yeah. Royal Bank of Scotland. It's those big institutions that orientate on an axis of Britishness and British identity, and they're part of the British establishment. And as long as we don't have independence, we're always going to be caught in that trap. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So I just, I found it quite frustrating, um, this whole, the whole election. I mean, yeah, I voted, I've obviously voted Labour as well. Yes. Yeah. We, we are also in, I mean, like, it, it worries me a bit sometimes that the argument, and it's because of the period and because of the choices people are immediately forced to make, but I do sometimes see arguments between people on the left in Scotland that go along the lines of, they sort of imply that independence is the route to socialism or that a Labour government is the route to socialism. Now, we can talk about what's a constructive tactic in immediate politics. Neither of these things represent socialism. No. I do worry that an idea of socialism, which is an actual break from ruling class rule, mm. has been submerged a bit yeah. by, by immediate yeah. uh, tactics. I, I think so. But I think that this election is ultimately... People are going to hate this when I say it, but ultimately it's a presidential election. Mm. That's how I'm seeing it. 
is only one of two people can be Prime Minister and it's Boris Johnson mm-hmm. or Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. And in those circumstances, I want to do everything I can to make sure that it's Corbyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't and I, So I'm seeing it as like, a, basically, Corbyn being the best chance mm-hmm. for independence yeah. and socialism in Europe. Right? This is the biggest chance for the left since Syriza, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, so. And by the way, there are plenty and plenty of seats in uh, Scotland where the only rational vote would be an SNP. Well, this is it. So yeah. I'm saying it's a presidential election with mm-hmm. local tactical variations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So it's a presidential election with local tactical variations. So in Eastern Bartonshire, I mean, vote, vote for, I think it's is it Amy Callaghan. Who's up against Joe Swins? Aye. Vote Amy. Obviously. Yeah. Vote Amy. For yeah. sure. I hope she does really well. Um, and whatever needs to happen to, to beat the Tories. But this election overall, I think, has been pretty grim to be honest yeah yeah pretty it's grim. been a bit miserable yeah and um, the best bit of it has been like all the some fake news fake news fun yeah so uh the, this you mean around the uh, the the kid who was on the the floor of a hospital oh and then, and then all these fake accounts that come on it's the they're totally activist right started to appear online saying i'm a pediatric nurse this child was put on the floor by by the mother. Right. Have you seen, have you watched the interview where Boris Johnson Sna- takes, takes the report? Have you watched oh, it? Oh, yeah. Now, Brutal. I think it's psychotic. Yeah. Right? I actually, so I keep watching it, looking, I mean, there's only two interviews I have watched repeatedly this year. It's that one and Prince Andrew. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because they're both Very like similar. windows yeah. into like the darkest parts of humanity yeah because boris johnson doesn't skip a beat he doesn't fluff his line he obviously reaches over to this reporter takes the phone out of his hand puts it in his pocket whilst keeping direct eye contact continuing to say get brexit done Mm -hmm. there is something disturbing about that action i think there is very disturbing yeah there's um it's it's that sense of ownership Mm. and entitlement Mm. and uh, i could do anything to you if Mm. i wanted Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's in a way that's slightly more weird but still very creepy uh, did you see that thing with Matt Hancock no I don't so, think so Matt Hancock I was so I'm so fixated on his behaviour in this interview I think it's with a woman who's a paediatric nurse who they somehow found who said she was voting Tory and they brought her outside a, a hospital wheeled her out yeah outside a hospital right <laughs> Man, Matt Hancock is invading her space in the most extreme and insane way that I've, I mean he's practically his nose is t- practically touching the side of her face he's right up against her right she eventually has to maneuver her handbag between herself and him they're both standing outside a hospital speaking to a camera and then she start, has to start, start shuffling away from him right he's staring dead he's a fucking weirdo He's staring dead into the side of her head. And as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, quotes, uh, this was Alessio, by the way. <laughs> Shout out for Alessio. Shout out for Alessio. <laughs> just said, he's got a stoner, right? <laughs> and he does. He has a raging boner, right? There's no avoidance, <laughs> right? He, he's sort of leering over her like, like a velociraptor in Jurassic Park, but with a massive stoner in his pants. <laughs> 
It looks like he's about to leap in for the kill. I mean, it's fucking terrifying. Uh, I haven't. I actually haven't seen that it's one. I will need to check it's it out. And the fake news that I meant, I quite enjoyed the multiple people sharing polling information from the Britain Erects account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just keep saying this is a very, very important erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I quite enjoyed that. Uh, I also obviously loved the squirrel Swinson stuff. Yeah. Um I mean the Joe Swinson was involved in a horrifying and sickening shocker where she was attacking squirrels. With a slingshot. With a slingshot. Doesn't surprise me. But see that's the thing, doesn't it sort of ring true? Yeah. It rings true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean she's I reckon, guy. I, yeah, exactly. I reckon that there's probably quite a few people in that part of the world who kill squirrels, take their bodies indoors and keep them in little shoe boxes and stuff. I mean, can I just go a bit worthy for a second? Mm-hmm. Please indulge me. Mm-hmm. There are actually people in this election who kill foxes. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I've, right, you're doing a wee smirk yeah. at me being all like social justice warrior, but yeah. fuck you, I love foxes. Yeah. I've befriended a wee fox out the back. Yeah. Been feeding it cat food. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> trying to undo the uh, yeah. the efforts of the fox hunt yeah. brigade yeah. yeah so if joe swinson's a s- squirrel killer it shouldn't surprise anyone no there are no. actually people who enjoy killing little foxes i know sick and then everyone's shocked that they're pedophiles <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's like oh my god i didn't know the ruling class was full of pedophiles i'm like they rip foxes apart i know they have all right how many serial killers Started off torturing animals. And then move on to people, that's true. Do you know what I mean? That's very Aye. true. Um, but Joe Swenson looks totally fucked. Oh, it's... I mean, it's delightful to watch. I mean, it's... it's, it's uh, we are, of course, recording this before we know any of the results. If she loses her seat, I will be overjoyed. Yeah, me too. Couldn't be more deserved. Um, Did you hear uh, Ruth Davidson said if the SNP get over 50 seats, she'll swim naked through Loch Lomond or something? Yeah. Do you know, I mean, you know, people comment on the how that's a grotesque image and so on, but the thing that... No, I, know, I was thinking that we could do that if Swinson loses. It would just <laughs> oh be so fuck. enjoyable. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, thing that, uh, the thing that annoyed me about that quote was just that, do you know some Scottish politicians must reference Scotland? every single time they're making any public pronouncement. Yeah. Ruth Davidson's one of them. Yeah, she's doing that sort of... You know when you walk into a gift shop now in Scotland? Yeah. It's full of, like, quite trendy, kind of kitsch Scottish things. Uh-huh. You know, like a, a, bit. a tote bag with a Tunnock's tea cake on it. Oh, she's doing that sake. in the sort of... That's her rhetoric yeah. is, like, kitsch Scottishness, yeah, isn't it? stinking. Absolutely stinking. She's gone... Uh, that sort of... <laughs> The liberal version of which is the we've talked about this before, but uh, Boris Johnson is a pure fanny on a oh, placard. Oh God, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's interesting that in this election in general, none of the supposed like the liberal resurgence hasn't happened. I don't just mean the Liberal Democrats because it was supposed to operate from several vectors at once. Change UK and various other, by the way, centrist sects have failed to uh, get off the ground. Um, there was supposed to be a big challenge from sort of liberal Tory rebels. That never happened. I mean, I understand there are a couple of rebel Tories uh, still in contention, but by and large, they folded uh, like a pack of cards 
all of them signing up to uh, the uh, the Tory Boris Johnson's yeah. Brexit deal. Uh, various, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a kind of parallel Labour Liberal or Labour centrist campaign um, in this campaign, and it hasn't materialised. Yeah. Um, so it's basically people are going to have to get up to wake up to the reality that the actual base for liberal politics uh, in in Britain as well in much of the Western world, is disintegrating. It's not. This is not just about first past the post. You hear a lot of people saying this, we're suffering from first past the post, and that is somehow polarising politics. You used to hear the opposite, of course, that first past the post forced politics into the centre ground. But this is just a piece with what's going on across Europe, yeah. where they don't have first past the post. Well, I think that one of the biggest pieces of fake news in this entire election and in the lead up to it was the idea that Scotland wouldn't vote for Tories, a Tory party led by Boris Johnson. Yeah. Absolutely not true. Yeah. Right. The Tories are possibly going to do quite well tonight um, in the borders and in the North East. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that Times front page article which was Scots hold the key to number 10. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which poll it was but there was one that showed that the Tories were definitely going to do well in Scotland. This idea that Scotland is the liberal stronghold, the centre stronghold, mm-hmm. you know, anti-Brexit, all that, I think has just been blown out of the water, especially yeah. with Ruth Davidson's, like, retirement yeah, from yeah. the front line. Yeah, the, um, the, the Tories you know I mean? Like, oh, the Tories yeah. will collapse without a wonderful Ruth. Yeah. They can't handle the Ruth and all that yeah, madness they, that they happened. can't handle the Ruth, yeah. So I think that that's, like, been blown out of the water, that particular piece of fake news. I think this election though will also be remembered as the purge election. Mm-hmm. Candidates following left, right and centre due to bad tweets in the past and sharing dodgy articles, etc, etc mostly around anti-Semitism yeah. but also more widely, particularly in the Tories, they've had to drop candidates for like actual anti-Semitism mm-hmm. actual racism homophobia, misogyny. All kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. There have been all kinds of Labour candidates who've been caught on camera saying things like um, disabled people should earn less money. Do you remember that? Labour there was a, candidates? No, sorry, Tory. Yeah, there was Tory a, candidates. There was a, 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 a Tory hustings where she was challenging that and she just said, yeah, people with uh, special learning needs should make less money. I know, it's disgusting. Um, you, you, this is why they don't, this is why the Tories haven't really had a campaign. You can't let them out because a, a lot of Tories are they're kind of they're kind of crypto fascist in a lot of their yeah. social views. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but but also the alongside uh, the the legitimate airing of or, or you know exposure of of, re- of reactionary views, there's also uh, been uh, purges of a more kind of familiar nonsense kind. Um, uh, and I wonder, I wonder how that, where that heads after the after the election. Well, obviously that's part of the when we were talking earlier about you voting for Joanne Lamont alongside Wings. <laughs> um, God, yeah. He wrote that insane article about um, Neil Hanvey being mm. dropped as the SNP candidate in his constituency, but he think he's still standing. Yeah. Um, over allegations of anti-Semitism, which appear to be. That he shared an article three and a half years ago about George Soros from Sputnik, mm. uh, which is just like a old person on the internet thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I actually don't think that Neil Hanvey is an anti-Semite. Well, Neil Hanvey is a career politician, 
And if you were an anti-Semite in those circumstances in the Scottish National Party, you'd keep it very fucking quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a really dumb thing to do. Yeah. Um, but then the woman that was on the conduct committee that expelled him... Yes. Uh, she also got done... Because she had tweets where she compared Israel to Nazism and the Nazi state. She compared Israel's treatment of the Palestinians to Nazi. the Nazi treatment of Jewish people during yeah. the Second World War. Yeah. Um, which is categorically wrong uh, if you're a nerd uh, and I am uh, and think that the categories, the categories <laughs> like Nazism I mean what and also I just think it's lazy it's I just think lazy it's like uh, in terms of like the language and the metaphor it's just fucking lazy yeah and I think people who do that are sometimes like trying crass. to they're I trying know. to be serious I know it's just like it's just embarrassing yeah man. but you know uh, by the way um Th- this is partly that 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 lack of kind of education about what fascism is results from the fact that people won't admit what Israel actually is, which is colonialism, and that colonialism is extremely racist, and the Israeli state is extremely racist, and they see that and they reach around for uh, a category which makes sense of that situation, and sometimes people mm. pick on fascism and Nazism. People have various uh, reasons for evoking that. Uh, that word, that ideology, and sometimes they are reactionary. But it's also just because we have a society where the actual nature of the Israeli state is routinely not admitted. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, on a like, sort of serious note, I am genuinely troubled by a lot of the stuff around, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party is the biggest global threat to Jews. Oh like God. all that stuff, I find that deeply sinister. Like, yeah. really, it's actually quite frightening. Like, I think, I think that what's happened after these few years is because if you look at the statistics, for example, I mean, um, there's a book out, and one of the statistics they publish is that thirty-four uh, percent of the British public, oh, sorry, the British public believe that on average thirty-four percent of Labour members have been accused of anti-Semitism, and the actual figure is zero point one percent. I actually do worry that this has done real damage to anti-racism as a yeah, politics. I think so. Because um, it actually undermines the real existing anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um, it's been totally weaponized. I think it's actually just very, very frightening. Um, I think it's really undermined the potential for solidarity with Palestine as yeah. well. I think people are quite frightened to talk about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you are actually anti-Semitic, then you should be frightened because... like. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. But people who are pro-Palestine, who, you know, want to see justice, shouldn't be scared yeah. to talk about I think that. I think if you are actually an anti-Semite, you would feel a lot more secure in this environment. Yeah. Because real anti-Semites aren't getting called out. I mean, everyone has forgotten this election. That the Tory party... The Tory MEPs in Europe... Actually full of anti-Semites, well, by the way, the Tory party. Well, yes, yes. So that statistically, anti-Semitism is much higher in the, in the Tory party. But also they do things that are politically anti-Semitic. Yeah. So their, their, their MEPs in Europe actually backed up the government of Viktor Orban, yeah. Yeah. which, of course, engages in actual anti-Semitic yeah. campaigns yeah. against Jewish individuals. So, but they're getting away with it because the, the attitude now is that anti-Semitism is fundamentally a creature of the left. So there's no question that real anti-Semitism has taken a boost uh, from this campaign. And yeah, it's, it's kind of terrifying. Um, so, yeah, let's not dwell on that because I do find it 
just really horrifying. Um, have you got any sort of highlights from the selection? Any favourite moments? Uh, do you know one thing? It's not a favourite moment as such, but I do think it is significant. Is and it's said every time there's an electoral moment, so perhaps I'm wrong, but I do kind of feel like the BBC has fucked it very badly on two fronts. One is uh, the failure to get interviews from uh, mm. uh, Boris Johnson. Now, um, that's not just true of the Andrew Neil interview. That was also true of uh, BBC Radio 2's kind of headline interview with him. And it's true across the media that the Tories have refused to give the sorts of interviews that they have traditionally uh, done. I think the media's been made to look extremely stupid and been used and... I hope there's reflection on it because most journalists get very, very upset when people are mean to them on social media and treat that as a serious threat to democracy. I hope they, they manage a to... A serious threat to democracy. Do you know what? We need to solve that. Yeah. Lady Hale. Lady... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever I, I, happened to Lady whatever Hale? Whatever happened to Lady Hale. I was hoping she would appear as a shock candidate for the Liberal Democrats <laughs> and get absolutely crushed. Um, you spider brooch yeah I I went into the voting booth today with my wee spider brooch on uh, and voted for the rule of law Um, (laughs) but the the other the other way in which the BBC's fucked it is just Laura Coonsberg and you get people saying like oh you know why does she take so much heat and so on whatever in this election she has engaged in a series of blunders that could only be described as just rank unprofessionalism So the worst was... Is this the one about the punch? Yes. So yeah. she... so she Explain didn't, that. Okay, so she tweeted. She did not tweet that she had been told this by a source, though she had. She simply tweeted it as a claim, right? She tweeted that a protest... She, the bit she said that had been told to her by a source was that the protest had been organised by the Labour Party or that they'd paid for taxis or some shit. Turned out that was all wrong as well. A small group of protesters turned up at a hospital, the same hospital where the child was on the floor, to greet uh, a Tory minister. And during the protest, uh, uh, Laura Koonsberg tweeted that one of the protesters had punched a Tory aide in the head. Right? Uh, so what she did there was do a thing that journalists are never supposed to do. She said she she said that a violent a serious violent crime had been committed. She identified that it had been done by one of these protesters and identified that the crime had been committed against a, a specific individual. This is a claim she actually made, right? Uh, she later de- deleted this tweet, but it turned out to be totally totally false. It's just totally made up. The aide walked into the outstretched arm of one of the protesters and lightly grazed his head. Mm on the arm right so and and then a series of journalists including people like Robert Peston followed suit because she's the BBC's chief political correspondent yeah, yeah. and said that this aide had been assaulted I saw them all tweeting retractions yeah but, but at that point the damage is done isn't it yeah I mean and it, but it just I don't understand how the BBC's chief political correspondent got into a situation where she thought she could publish material for which she had absolutely no evidence whatsoever um, I mean, most journalists have committed howlers in their time, but at the height of an election campaign, 
in the position that you are in. So the thing, the thing that annoys me is I think after the election, people are like, oh yeah, the BBC always get it from all sides and that that's how they know that they're getting it right. No, I'm sorry, you've breached standards yeah. very yeah. obviously. Um, on the other hand, my favourite moment from the election hmm. was during the first Corbyn-Johnson debate when they were asked about the monarchy. Well, I've not, I don't think I've seen Have it. you not seen David? It's an absolute classic. Mm-hmm. So it's after the Prince Andrew interview mm-hmm. um, and they're asked, um, what do you think of the monarchy? And obviously I'm watching it being like, oh fuck, what's Corbyn going to say? And he just said, needs improvement. <laughs> With this like wicked little grin. Oh, And then Boris Johnson like said, the British monarchy is beyond reproach. Oh, yeah. Oh, that dear, was that dear. was like one of my favorite favorite moments. Yeah. Um. Because obviously I've become quite obsessed with the Prince Andrew situation. Yeah. And this would sound. I so- say situation. What I mean is like him being a beast and friends with a convicted sex offender. Yeah. Um. I mean that would that that would as a, as an election highlight would sound obsequious to an outside observer. But to have a leader of the opposition say that the, the, the royal family can be improved upon <laughs> in any way, <laughs> even after, you know, what's been, you know... Uh, I know, it was so good, it was so uh, good, so it was good. very, very wicked. Yeah, yeah. So what's your prediction for tonight then? Oh yeah, so then everyone gets to hear my false uh, prediction. So the, the, the part of my brain, because there is some evidence that the polls are moving, and there is some evidence that the Tories aren't, getting exactly the turnout that they want my positive prediction is that we end up with quite a similar situation in terms of balance mm-hmm. in the house that we have right now uh, is that a good thing if <sighs> i mean i think being stuck in the same deadlock is just going to be i mean it's going to be complete such a pain but at least brutal. at least johnson could be denied uh, yeah. forming a government um but the the negative side of me is saying uh, that it's going to be a wafer-thin Johnson majority. Well, would you like some information to help inform your predictions? Go on. I, because I'm a bit of a basic bitch, enjoy looking at the celebrity endorsements okay. for politicians. Obviously, famously this year, Hugh Grant, has uh-huh. been out campaigning for mm-hmm. Luciana Berger oh, yeah. from... Do you remember Change UK? <laughs> do you <laughs> yeah. remember that? Oh, yeah. That, so that she, she, did she become one of the Lib Dems? Uh, or did she stay yeah. independent? So Hugh Grant is basically a massive Remainer, and so he's been out campaigning for Luciana Berger. He's like the soul of But he's of also Remain been Brown. out campaigning for Labour candidates. I think the one... Faisal Shaheen? Faisal Shaheen against Ian Duncan Smith. Uh-huh. Um, so... That's been quite a sort of thing on social media during yeah. this election. Um, someone was trying to describe to me that Hugh Grant had had a fight with Pierce Morgan, but they couldn't remember Hugh Grant's name. So they were just like, ah, the posh one. The, po- the po- <laughs> posh, floppy one. <laughs> yeah. and they managed to like describe Hugh Grant without saying anything lewd about his 
sexual conduct. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which I totally forgotten about. Yeah. Anyway, so I've been looking into which celebrities are supporting whom, and I've drawn up a list of uh, celebrities broken down into good and evil. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the good guys voting for Labour and the bad guys voting for the Tories. So mm-hmm. would you like a little run-through? Yeah, go on. And you can By the help. way, can I just ask, what was Hugh Grant's infraction again? Did he take the happy ending? <laughs> All Hugh Grant films have a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got, on the Labour side, Lily Allen. Mm-hmm. Do you like her? Yeah, Do you know who that is? Yeah, I know who it is. Uh, I mean, she said good political stuff, hasn't she? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like her as a person. I don't really like her music. Right, yeah. Danny DeVito. Great. Who's a, I mean, he's... I love him. Yeah. I just think he's so cute. He's so cute, man. I love the film Twins. With him and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. But I think that they should do it again, but like make it political. Because obviously Danny DeVito's left, mm-hmm. and Arnold Schwarzenegger's gone really right. Yeah. So they should do a kind of like, Twins Part 2. Yeah, yeah, with a squab in about politics. Yeah. 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 Um, Stormzy. Yeah, great, of course. Oh, so cool. Yeah. I mean, that performance at the Brit Awards. Yeah. <sighs> Alan Moore. Is he the cartoon guy? Aye. Cartoon guy. I, Mr. Moore, if you are listening to this pod, I'm very sorry <laughs> that my co-host has just referred to you as that cartoon guy. I don't like these comic book things, but yeah, he's... Uh... Have you read From Hell? No, but I've seen, you the, would I've love seen the film. Is that the one about Jack the Ripper? You would, no, you would love the... It is that film, yeah. but the gra- graphic novel <laughs> is, is actually very good. I've only read like two graphic novels. Uh-huh. Um, Comic books. Whatever. Yeah. Don't uh, at me. But he's, he, he's, he's like a pragmatic... He says he's an anarchist, but he's voting Labour. Aye, aye. Aye, yeah. um, Vivian Westwood. Yeah, I don't know very much about her. She's a fashion designer. Right? Yeah, punk. She's yeah. a punk. Right. Thurston Moore. Uh, who's that? He's from the band Sonic Youth. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, of which I'm a massive fan. Mm-hmm. was one of my favourite bands as a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very cool as well. So lots of really cool people voting for Labour. Yeah. So or supporting Labour, at least. Sold, yeah. Now, <laughs> would you like to hear the evil side? Yeah, I want to hear the Tories. Okay, so we've got um, Alan Sugar. Fuck hell. I mean, I have no time for Alan Sugar. Nah. Do you know the worst... He's not even a fun, arrogant... Re- no. Not like, you know, Do you know the worst part fun. of Alan Sugar is that he... He kind of epitomises that, like, working class done good thing oh, God, do you know what I mean because he pretends that he like came from nothing and like just like, mar- they like all do. worked yeah. himself up like being down the market yeah. right but that's not fucking true he was a property speculator that's yeah. how he made his money yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean like but he pretends to be like self made man yeah, but he's not he's actually a parasite yeah uh, Tommy Robinson obviously um, the guy from the guy who owns Weatherspoons. yeah Tim Martin yeah uh, complete, yeah, buffoon, yeah. I mean, Weatherspoons is a disgusting place. <laughs> you hate them. I hate them. Me, me, and uh, me and Ruth love them. I know you do. I've had dinner with you in a Weatherspoons. You, Ruth, that's David's <laughs> girlfriend, uh, and your dad. Do you remember? <laughs> when was that? We went to see Billy Bragg. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my friend Billy Bragg. Uh-huh. That's a that's a very British thing to have happened that. Uh, we had our weather spoons yeah. and then went to see Billy Bragg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and who else? Uh, who else? Oh, well, obviously some former Labour MPs. Mm-hmm. Don Woodcock. Oh, oh God. Tom Harris. <laughs> Michael, Michael McCann, former MP in East Bright. Oh, He's the yeah. one that had to go at me during the referendum and started shouting, Cat Boyd is an extremist. <laughs> That's great. Um, and last but not least, Roy Chubby Brown. Wow. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know he was still on the go. Ah, uh, you thought he'd got done in U-Treat, didn't you? <laughs> I thought, uh, I, I just, I, I thought, I think I get mixed up between him and... Uh, Bad man. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a sort of similar thing. Um, but, like, Roy Chubby Brown, he's still on the go. Um, yeah. He's disgusting, really. Yeah. So, uh, so, so there you go. I mean, that's your, that's your choices. Do you know one of my f- favourite facts about Roy Chubby Brown? Mm-hmm. He was once fined uh, for driving... While reading a newspaper, <laughs> the sun. He was like, couldn't, wait, up to a, get, to get, couldn't yeah. wait to get home. Quality journalism, yeah. Couldn't wait <laughs> to get home to look at the pictures yeah, yeah. and do his horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had to start reading it as he was on the on the motorway. He he had to see what Lucy Twenty Two had to say about uh, the common market. Yeah, you know news and I mean? briefs. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> the A19 yeah. reading the sun right. got done in well there you go there you go um, so that's us I think for this year for this year yeah and this of course, year when you're back it's a whole it's the 20s it's, it's the the, tw- the roaring 20s the, roaring 20s. the 20s are my favourite like historical period yeah uh, well, I mean so. it's that kind of like hyper decadent culture just as civilization is on the brink of collapse yeah so i think that works pretty well yeah no yeah. it does it yeah, does it actually does. yeah it works really well for us i'm looking forward uh, to that so yeah thank you for listening and we'll see you in the new year see you then bye say bye bye <laughs>